0: your positive positive, positive. Imprint. 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 imprint stories are everywhere people and their positive action inspire positive achievements your pi could mean the world to you get ready for your positive imprint
1: well hello this is Catherine with your positive imprint i'm over here in woods hole and i'm walking around a pond lots of birds singing today. Well I am heading over to the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution to meet oceanographer Kurt Poultson. He's been out on voyages in the South Sea with Helen Phillips. Kurt is going to share with you the human side of oceanographers with regard to stress. Well I'm super excited because he's going to show me the instruments that oceanographers use. He will also talk about his own research in the world of oceanography. Hello, you're not going to believe where I'm at. I am over here at, in Huey, I'm in the basement, and I am here with Kurt Poultson, but I am looking at all of these toys in which Helen Phillips had been talking about, some of them, and they are so, I mean, I, I am actually, I want to touch them. I'm going to, t- can I touch it?
0: Please I'm no. going to
1: touch it and bang on it, and there's all sorts of things in here that look, and this one kind of looks like a, a miniature torpedo, mm-hmm. and just toys everywhere, and there's cylinders, and then of course Kurt is sitting in front of me, and he's going to talk about these toys, which are part of the uh, discovery and scientific challenges and data collection that you've been doing your whole life. But how did you get here?
0: Uh, well, the story will start as uh, even before graduate school. Um, when when I was an undergraduate, I got this degree in physics, but I knew that I didn't want to do high-energy physics, because that puts you in a, in a large group situation and typically in buildings, and uh, large buildings and underground and um, but
1: you are in a large building yeah. and you are underground. Uh,
0: yeah, uh, but the, the, uh, what I felt from oceanography is that it was a little bit more individualistic and um, there was a, uh, some adventure that was related to that because you go out on boats and you throw things in the ocean <laughs> and you're looking at the world in a very tactile and tangible way rather than using um, very delicate sensors to uh, look at particles sort of things. That took me to Woods Hole and, and MIT. And Are you from here? No, I'm from eastern Washington State. And oh, so the other
1: I'll, side of the United States.
0: Yeah, well, it's yeah, the evergreen state, but the part of the evergreen state that is... Um, semi-arid, and so you go over the mountains and get into the desert with the rattlesnakes and the sagebrush, and yeah, that's where I'm from.
1: Okay, and I guess I should let the listeners know that where I'm at, I am along the Atlantic Ocean right now, mm. over in Massachusetts, United States of America, and
0: And curf- on ye olde Cape Cod. Yes, <laughs> that's right. So I left all of that behind and uh, went to graduate school at MIT and started working with uh, on projects that were related to turbulent mixing and uh, with uh, specialized instrumentation that was built here at the oceanographic so that uh, I I spent a fair amount of time at sea as as part of that and working on data from the instrument and trying to Part of that was trying to understand what the instrument was doing, and uh, as well as um, what the uh, ocean was trying to provide us in terms of uh, in analyzing the data that uh, came out of that, and that really uh, provided this tactile and hands-on experience. And so, one of the first lessons is that the. A ocean is, is, can be a very, very challenging environment to uh, try and sample. So you uh, might have a laboratory indoors and you can set up your um, experiment on the table and have vary one variable and take a set of measurements and then vary another variable and, and do that. But when you're at sea, you take what the ocean gives you. So, um, and sometimes it gets very angry and um, uh, and uncomfortable, but um, at other times it is also very beautiful. So, uh, I fell in love with that. I went away for two years to do a postdoc after that and I came right back and I've really kind of been involved in many of uh, the same sorts of things as part, at least part of what I do, right. So I have probably two, two sort of research veins going on. And one of this, uh, one of these is uh, dealing with the instrumentation and the toys that uh, Catherine and I are are looking at and and, and, and surrounded by. And some are
1: making noise. So listeners might be hearing some of the noises from some of these,
0: Um, and then. But the other one is uh, really theoretical, and so uh, I'm working with uh, a number of theoretical physicists, um, trying to develop a project whose uh, running title is the quantum ocean. Mm, Interesting. So it's it's an effort to try and extract some of the techniques. Uh, from uh, quantum mechanics and theoretical physics to address uh, nonlinear interactions between waves and how that might lead to turbulence and mixing. And so it is an extension of... Could you do
1: predicting with that, too?
0: Well, yes, indeed. And, okay. and um, anyway, so once you understand the behavior of a system, then one of the big funding paradigms is that you work with other people to stick this in the uh, global circulation models that uh, folks use to do climate prediction say as part of the IPCC reports, uh, the climate uh, reports that uh, folks put together. There are three or four dozen different modeling centers that run uh, very large numerical models that cannot in any sense represent everything and much of what the instrumentation that I have and I'm, I use is geared to measuring those sorts of things and then the, the intent is to uh, try and summarize those in terms of uh, mathematics and uh, figure out uh, ways to port the, that math into these GCMs that do the climate prediction business. So that, that, in its own way, is adventuring, but it is really sublimated you know, it's It's uh, trying to figure out things and with uh, pen and paper and and uh, doing math and yes. arranging symbols and uh, rearranging symbols on on paper that's the sort of thing that um, if that's all I did, I would not be uh, nearly as satisfied um, this uh, uh, what I, uh, the seagoing sort of thing is, uh, can be very much adventure. One of the projects that I'm working on right now uh, came about, oh, about 15 years ago. I uh, was, uh, had a, a junior collaborator who, the toys that um, I have, they're home built, right? So these... What do you mean
1: by, what do you mean by home built? They're built
0: at the Oceanographic. Okay. All right. So, as
1: opposed to a comp, a company, is that what you're meaning? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, okay. um, and and that's really one of the delightful things about historically about the oceanographic is that it's kind of been an, um, an interface between engineers and scientists, um, kind of pushing, pushing the field together in terms of building instruments to do. Uh, combine um, measurements to, uh, in, in uh, platforms that they haven't been, or to build new sensors, look at the ocean in, in new ways, and you're just going so to discover... So scientists
1: almost have to help design these products, I shouldn't say product, but these uh, scientific measuring instruments with the
0: engineers. Oh, absolutely.
1: Oh, so that put a smile on your face. So you you must have had a hand in there.
0: Oh, yes, 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 yes. And so that's um, part of my brain is devoted to to that. I have a very uh, good understanding of what it is that I want out of an, an instrument. I have no clue about how to make it to, <laughs> to do that sort of thing. Um, and so uh, that's... Uh, 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 part of, part of the collaborations that I have are with the engineers who actually build this uh, the build my toys for me.
1: And you're obviously not the only one that uses these.
0: Um, correct correct they, so
1: and they've been I mean, they have been used I mean they're they've been they've hit some. Rocks and some ocean bottoms, it looks like. <laughs>
0: um, well, so, a particular instrument that we're now looking at, so to Which describe looks like a rocket. this. Um, it's a uh, long cylinder, uh, a, a heavy duty plastic case. Um, this is actually a sewer tube um, that is uh, oh a little over half a meter in diameter, and it is. Three meters long, four meters long, and so uh, what happens is that we uh, pick this up and, and lift it off the uh, rear deck of uh, of a ship, and we lower it over the side and we let it go, and so it's not tethered and it floats away. We have various radios and GPS and uh, pingers on it, so and a, and flashers to uh, so that we can. Uh, make sure that we uh, are able to get it back. But uh, so that getting it back then is that you've got a boat that might be 300 feet long and the ocean surface is very bumpy and you want to go and uh, drive up uh, next to this so you can lean over the side of a ship and put (laughs) a tagline on. And that um, isn't... uh, (laughs) Uh, the most delicate of all operations, and so you, th- you need a big, sturdy wrapper around around this stuff to uh, protect it. So that's the explanation for why we have such a large, massive body.
1: So you can get it back.
0: Yeah, so we can that's get so it back.
1: so interesting.
0: And uh, then what we have on this is uh, the instrument happens to be um, actually... Taken apart at this point in time, and this so, is what
1: goes inside of it. Yeah, yeah.
0: So this, there's a pressure case here with a um, framework, and it's just this slides into the so large. So it's
1: just a big cylinder with straws on it, and I will post a picture on the website because you listeners have got to see this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then uh, that's the electronics that go into it, and. Uh, Twenty years ago, um, this two feet worth of electronics was fifteen feet worth of electronics, and but it's really kind of the the, the same sort of idea. So it's We're,
1: robotic or electronic. Well, what, what
0: it's would a, you? It's, yeah, it's, I mean it's electronic. Um, if there was it's, if there's anything robotic about it, is that um, it turns out that we're looking, so we're looking at turbulence and mixing in the ocean and trying to figure out why it is where, how, why it is big, where it is big and and it turns out that all the action really is at the boundaries. All right? And so um, there's bigger mixing as you get closer and closer to the boundary and so there's a real premium on getting close. But you, you want to get as close to the bottom as you can. Okay. At this point We can get within uh, successfully two to five meters off the bottom, and not stick it in the bottom.
1: Okay, so then you so then you start getting clean data um, because it hasn't been disrupted.
0: Um, Well, the point is is that if you go into the bottom, what happens is that um, uh, there's mud, right? And it's like sticking your um, uh, boot. Uh, into uh, a foot worth of mud, and you're just going kind to of stick there.
1: Oh, so I so using the word clean was actually it, I, literal. Okay, so I take it back. It, you get very clean. <laughs> All right. Yeah.
0: So uh, this is
1: really helping to understand with with that analogy with the boot. Mm-hmm. And so I'm okay.
0: Um, so it has an altimeter on it, and there's programming within the controller to have it drop its ballast at a height above bottom, uh, which we're now able to go, say, two, or five meter, uh, two to five meters above bottom. Earlier incarnations of this, the first one, the first one had a, um, an 8086 processor and with 64K of programmable memory. All right, so when I was in high school, there was one person I knew who had a computer at home. And, so, and my buddy had this uh, machine that was a Tandy 64. And the 64 was for that 64K worth of programmable memory. And you're, you're carrying around in your back pocket these uh, computers that would essentially have the com- capability of a supercomputer 30 years ago. Right. So the, that processor was uh, flat out. In terms of doing data acquisition, and then figuring out um, how far off the bottom it was, it uh, would not do so uh, successfully at uh, some points in time, and we would wind up sticking the instrument into the bottom. And with the bottom being very occasionally being quite muddy, as opposed to rocky, it would just stick there.
1: And you can't get it back, or do you? You get have it back? to wait for it. You have to wait. For it. Yeah. And what do you wait?
0: For? Uh, for about 6 hours usually um, and so there's usually there's a 12 hour tide wherever you go in the ocean and oh. you're what you're doing is you're waiting for that this yeah. stick in the mud to rock back and forth and, and release itself and release itself
1: from the tide oh my goodness well, so you have six hours to get a tan, to look right. at the Right, and to, to worry
0: obsessively <laughs> about um, w- whether it was going to come back or not. And then you're sitting there, and you're on a boat. Um, uh, well, you're you're listening to it. You know where it is, more or less. What you does it sound it? like? It's just a chirp, like a 10 kilohertz chirp sort of thing. The thing is, is you you're, you have a boat. And you have a boat for a scheduled period, and this boat can cost anywhere between thirty and $100,000 a day. And
1: that's you're a, sitting there so and waiting. A, yeah, and that's a big, so between thirty and 130000 a day. So yeah. does, is that dependent on, obviously, the type of boat? Okay, you're showing your hands. The bigger the boat, the more expensive. Yeah. So the smaller the boat. Of course, you have to have you know, quite a large boat to get this thing out. So we're looking at... The, co- the variable of this, the cost here of the boat a day and then six hours of waiting for that tide to change. I'm understanding this. Wow. No wonder you would worry.
0: And yeah, Well, sometimes it takes more than six hours. Yeah. Yeah. There was uh, the first, yeah, the first cruise I was chief scientist on. A couple of weeks before uh, the cruise. We were doing some dock tests with it, or tests on the dock, and the uh, battery apparently was wired inappropriately, and so it degassed, and uh, meaning there, there was uh, hydrogen gas produced, and so a little spark and a big pressure pulse within the pressure case, and it wouldn't wake up the next morning, and so uh, we... Uh, Took the instrument rack out, and all the little chips from the boards kind of fell onto the floor, and
1: because of pressure.
0: Yeah, or there was an, oh, an explosion inside inside the, the case. pressure case. Oh my gosh. Yeah, um, so okay, oh my gosh. so bad things happened, and got a lot of engineers together, and put it back together within a week, and we're testing it, and it appeared to work. Now I used to have a, have a motorcycle. It was, it was a fun bike, um, but it had an issue in that when it would rain, it'd get wet, and uh, it, uh, sh- it was short, so it, it's on some of the cylinders, right? Mm-hmm. And so you'd have to, it'd be raining, you'd have to stop under an underpass and wait for the shower to pass. So you're used to waiting. Well, uh, (laughs) it's like I could never figure out what it was. And so I'd take the bike back home and and take the garden hose and hose it down and try and figure out what was the the Mm -hmm. thing that was going on um, with it. And I never actually um, managed to solve that one um, by myself. And so the the lesson lesson here is is that um, we could test this thing as much as we wanted on the dock, and we did for a week, Um, but we'd never get it to fail until we actually used it.
1: Uh Uh-huh.
0: All right. we didn't know what its failure modes were going to be. We could test it on the dock for three months. It wouldn't fail, and then we'd go out and we'd figure out what its failure modes were going to be. So it it blew up.
1: How do you repair it?
0: You pay engineers to put all the (laughs) bits and pieces back on. so um, so we went out, right, and we went out. In and, which ocean? And, uh, this was out of Woods Hole, and we okay, went down so um, uh, to Cape Hatteras and uh, started to do some work. Um, and uh, we, figured, we found out what the failure mode was on the fourth profile. Uh, well, actually, it took us to the seventh profile, but on the fourth profile what happened was that it just uh, um, stuck in the mud. And it stuck in the mud, and it turns out for seven days. <gasps> oh
1: it wasn't. Goodness. It
0: wasn't any of this business about six hours. Right. It was okay, and then we had a nor'easter come through after it stuck in the mud, and um, so we were involved in trying to uh, drag for it, which is that you take a big uh, weight on the end of a steel cable, and you lower that down, and you pay out some slack, and then you try and sweep the wine back and forth across the bottom of the ocean to knock the um, stick in the mud out of the mud. And that didn't work. We then got in a nor'easter, and so things got a little sloppy. And days later, we wrote it off. And it's gone. Yeah. How far <laughs> down is it? Uh, well, that one was uh, a 1,000 meters probably. Okay. And so it was, it was pretty close to the surface. But, so we wrote it off and completely revamped the sampling strategy because, well, we got a boat for 30 days. And mm-hmm. so then on about day number seven, uh, one of the crew remarked that they saw a flashing light on the horizon. And um, it turns out that uh, this was overheard by one of the scientists who said, Maybe we should check that out. Yeah. Yeah, because it does have a strobe light on it. The instrument did, does have a strobe light. It turns out that it was sitting at the surface, flashing away. Oh my um, goodness. In the middle after of the all night, that time. After all that
1: time. So it dislodged.
0: Yeah. And um, then on profile so number seven, oh. <laughs> 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 yes, absolutely. <laughs> profile number seven, we figured out what the failure mode was, which was then when we raised the instrument upright to lower it over the side that the computer would hang. Mm. This something would shift in, right. in the uh, electronics case, and uh, and it would shorten, and the computer would hang, and so it wouldn't be on, and it would just fall into the mud.
1: Ah, uh, so interesting. So when, listen, sitting here and talking to you, and, and you get, your facial expressions are just enormously big when you're talking about this so when you were out on the boat and you realized it was your baby there mm-hmm. it cost what does this cost
0: oh, oh this one okay uh, the cost to uh, create this is different from the cost oh. to uh, build another one so uh, so you're paying engineers to do design work okay. and uh, the cost to create it is would be over a million dollars
1: oh my. Okay.
0: Yeah. You would get excited (laughs) over finding it. (laughs) And and you can't can't go to the store and and buy a new one.
1: No, you cannot. So how do you show your excitement when you're out on the boat? Do you just say, oh, well, good, there it is, and you just keep your calm? Or do you actually get excited and smile and say, oh, yes, (laughs) and pop open a beer and cheers?
0: (laughs) I, I wish. The boats are all dry. Oh, at okay. this point, um, I can give you a reference for what happened. What what I um, happens to me when I lose scientist. something. Yeah, um, and I've been fairly stoic and reflective about uh, the loss of an instrument. Um, but um,
1: well, see, and that just humanizes the scientist.
0: There's an analogy. Okay. Okay, uh, and that analogy is. Uh, these cruises are the end product of an awful lot of effort, and they don't happen all that often. So you know, if you're lucky, it's going to be more than once a year. Once a year is good. And so it comes off very much as this is harvest time. All right, and if you're a farmer, and it's like your entire year is wrapped up in harvest. And so I did uh, a fair amount of uh, driving farm Equipment in in circles uh, in my uh, in my high school years and so you 've got two weeks and your entire financial year hinges on those two weeks but yeah it 's just a big stress event you actually discover something yeah and so this is pu- this business about adventuring that really attracted me a lot of um, oceanography the uh, seagoing oceanography, uh, and I'm thinking that uh, what, what we call GO-SHIP are hydrographic lines that the station positions have been assigned a decade ago, and you're just redoing sampling along a line that has been occupied for uh, repeatedly for some time and you're looking for uh, the tiny signatures of climate change. And that's not what I do. What I do is really adventuring and discovery and going new places uh, and seeing uh, new things. And, and that, so there's this real element of discovery. One of the things that I did intentionally, very intentionally to enhance this, is that I had a junior colleague in uh, the UK who, uh, we wrote a a science paper about mixing and turbulence and waves in the uh, Southern Ocean in Drake Passage, and then he came into my office and he asked me, well, is there anything that you would like to do apart from this big experiment that was planned? And I said, oh, heck yes and so how do we do this? Well, um, the way to do that is to enable him to have the same sorts of instrumentation that I do, and so we wrote collaborative proposals to both um, U.S. and the U.K., and part of that I was um, helping him to develop that technology. Now, he didn't wind up with my toys, per se. There was a a vendor who was new to uh, put his stuff on the market. And they wound up with that instrumentation. There was this uh, training process. And uh, it turns out in the UK that if you just tick a box on a form, then some piece of instrumentation will show up um, regardless of where it is. And he uh, had a uh, postdoc advisor who uh, said, yes, I'm going to have time on my cruise. That was um, uh, off of the Western Antarctic Peninsula.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Oh, wow. Yes, yeah. indeed. And yeah. so I, I got this very long flight into Punta Arenas and then a, a flight on a, a propeller job into uh, the UK base in Antarctica and then this glorious boat ride uh, along the uh, uh, Western Antarctic Peninsula in between two mountain ranges.
1: Um, Holy moly! That, that's awesome. That
0: were all topped with glaciers, and and, and it was just a, an amazing thing. So that was my first experience with ice, and ice ice is amazing. And I had a, I was trying to explain this to a friend, a Norwegian friend of mine, and and she looked at me and she said, "Yes, once you've seen the ice, you need to go back." Yeah.
1: And so. So when you're talking about adventure, you are talking adventure.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, this was just an instrument test. And so he took me to a very beautiful place to yeah. do an, instrument, t- an in- instrument test. And I started looking around, and I said, hmm, how do I go back? How do I come back here?
1: Yeah.
0: How do I come back here? Oh, I know. I'm going to ride away to NSF for my own very vacation back here. And it took a decade, okay? But a couple you Made it back? Yes, 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 yes. Oh, yes, for yes. goodness sake. So it turns out that um, there there is a gap in the submarine ridge that is an extension of the western Antarctic peninsula, which through which a third of all the Antarctic bottom water, which is the deepest densest, coldest water in the world's ocean, and it's formed on the shelves of the Weddell Sea as you, through cryogenic processes. So you have uh, water that freezes, it rejects salt, that salt falls down, it's very cold, and you wind up with something that's very super dense, and then it slops off the shelf as gravity current goes along the slope goes around the Weddell Sea and then shoots through this gap. A third, a third of all the bottom water that crosses the southern boundary of the ACC into the world's ocean shoots through this gap. It goes along this really steep ridge, um, the terrestrial analogy. The terrestrial analogy is um, the southern, southern entrance to Yellowstone. So if you've been through uh, Jackson Hole, all right, uh, and you're going north, you have this, uh, you, you have two mountain ranges that have separated and the valley floor has just fallen away. And you have good 6,000 feet of elevation. So you're, you're about a mile high and you've got mountains that are 11 or maybe even 1300 feet. And the, submarine ridge along which this bottom water is flowing is the same sort of aspect ratio. You know, the, this mountainside out of Jackson Hole is just so awe-inspiring. Right? The mountainside is the same sort of slope. It's twice as tall.
1: Really?
0: It's so amazing awe-inspiring panorama. Okay. It took a decade. It um, finally got funding and so we had this amazing boat ride a 52-day cruise on the um, British Antarctic Survey's icebreaker, uh, the James Clark Ross, which is a 300-plus-foot uh, ice-capable vessel. And we got to uh, yeah spend more than a month um, throwing our instruments in and, and looking at what happens when, uh, as this current flows along this, this very steep uh, mountainside.
1: And so what were your findings after the instruments came back with
0: data? Uh, we found something new. Uh-oh. And, and so... Are you uh, allowed to share? Uh, oh, yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. So um, we have uh, a lot of ideas, a lot of old ideas uh, about boundary layers and um, about, uh, that are associated with the drag at the bottom of the ocean and how that gets expressed in a, in a boundary layer and how much mixing. Um, and that dates back to a fellow named Ekman. And it's like one of the entry problems uh, in physical oceanography that we teach our first year graduate students. And it's all about this viscous drag, uh, the effect of viscosity on, on uh, the fl- flow of, of fluid. And it turns out while that is important, the properties of the fluid are modified so that the boundary layer itself is unstable in ways that are not part of the, what we teach our first-year graduate students.
1: So if they're unstable, what, what, is, what exactly does that
0: mean? Well what it translates into is an immense amount of mixing. And so this problem was uh, set up, um, okay, so in terms of physics, we can do budgets, all right? We can do budgets for physics, like things like mass or buoyancy, which is variable density under the effects of gravity, right? So light water on top of dense water, and you, know, you have to do some work to lift the dense water up. Let's talk yeah. about that as buoyancy. And so you can do uh, set up these budgets, which we'll refer to as control volume budgets, and we did one for the dense water that was flowing out of the uh, this gap in the submarine ridge that separates the Weddell Sea from the rest of the world's ocean, and uh, and this dates back to a, a paper that Karen Haywood wrote, and she was. Uh, my friend's uh postdoc advisor, and that's kind of how we got into this. Okay, and that budget required ten times more mixing than more turbulent mixing than any other budget than anyone had done before of similar sort of, of scope and magnitude. While you can do the budgets, what you need are the special toys that are in this lab to tell you why all right and they're special because not everyone has them because well originally to get them you had to make them yourself
1: so when you dropped one of these in it would just sink
0: no i don't think so gliders are another thing entirely and they're like a a, yeah another a, a, a very frustrating piece of equipment no these things go down yeah, yeah. And then they drop weights, and they're just like a one-shot sort of deal. And you need, they do a profile, and you need to go and pick okay. them up again and reload them. Gliders, they're, they're autonomous. They're, they're like the, the robot thing, and they'll go up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, and unless they can't go up to the surface and, and report back home. And then they get refrayed when they can't talk to home, and then they drop their weights and sit at the surface and, and ask for somebody to come pick them up and take them home.
1: That's just so cool. Just thinking about it. Ask for come help, me, <laughs> help, me, help daddy, me, daddy, come get me. <laughs> you humanize yeah. it so well. I, 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 I'm glad. And so, and then on a on a personal note, you, you do yoga. You mm-hmm. practice yoga, and so how does that help you with your practices or with your? stress relief or anything
0: you know that really stressed out farmer yes yeah um it helps deal with him okay you know or it it helps to to deal with that part of me so when i'm on a boat that if i can just be able to relax and kind of um assemble or dissemble the the day and um, give myself a little perspective about what all is going on, uh, then sometimes I need a little better communication skills and so I will try and and do things that, um, essentially heart openers and that uh, open myself up to the world a little bit more. Well, you've been
1: doing very well here. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um,
0: But yeah, so there's certain things that you can target that way. Um, yeah.
1: Well, Well, thank you so much for humanizing the world that you live in, in this scientific world that is so much under the water, I don't mean that by cliche, I, I mean it truly, and so it's wonderful to hear these stories and hear what the research, and to see what the toys actually look like. Anyway, I'm, I thank you for humanizing it and sharing it. It's well, a very important study.
0: Well, you're welcome. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to share this and share my excitement and my experience with the world. Well,
1: thank you so much, Kurt.
0: Thank you, Catherine.
1: Thank you for listening to Kurt Poultson. You can learn more about Kurt and his research by heading over to the website for Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution. Thank you to Chris Knoll for the great music. Learn more about his music and his career at chrisknoll.com. Get on my email list so you can be updated on featured guests as well as my podcast, Behind the Scenes Notes. Sign up, go to yourpositiveimprint.com. You can also access all of my episodes from yourpositiveimprint.com or iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and don't forget to subscribe to my podcast, Your Positive Imprint. What's your PI? Subscribe now.